couple weeks ago, and I think even last week, we showed you a picture of a diagram I'd drawn where it talks about the second great awakening happened at the Little Red House uh, out there in more western Kentucky area. <clears throat> and that's where the move of God began, the second great awakening birthed out of that well. And then, you know, Reverend Stone and another gentleman that really launched uh, the next year, they launched Cane Ridge Revival, which ended up being global and touching the world. It brought great impartation and a release of God's spirit in the earth, but I don't believe we reached the type of reformation that God wanted to do to reform nations. See, 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 I'm going to talk to you in a minute about the Great Commission. It's not really the Great Commission. It's the Great Commissions, plural. It's part one and part two, or 1A and 1B. They, they actually, God is telling us in the two great commissions that we read all the time out of Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel, and we're going to get into it here soon, like it's one, but it's not. Because what Jesus is speaking and what the Spirit of the Lord released is it's a twofold mandate from God. It's really two mandates that are given. And in the second great reformation or, or awakening that started at little, the little red house there at the river and then moved to Cane Ridge. And then remember I drew a line and one of the prophecies I gave you said that, that the angels of the Lord are working between these two locations, talking about Little Red River, the Little Red little red, little red, little House on the Red River, whatever, Little Red River House. <laughs> All the way up to Cane Ridge, which is just north of us or whatever. And in between it, it the, they said the angels of the Lord are working for the third awakening, for the next great move of God. And when we drew that line perfectly through it, it went across Asbury's campus and across this property, all the way to it. Now, when we're talking about awakenings or any kind of revival, God refers to it as a well. It's not supposed to happen there and everybody just comes forever to that spot. It's a well where God releases, opens up heaven that nobody can explain it. And when he opens up heaven, it's a wellspring coming out of the windows of heaven, blessings that we don't even have room to contain, and especially when it has to do with his glory, his spirit, his manifested presence, his presence when it can be felt, when it can be seen, when it can be heard. And just as there's been different times in the Bible, we see great moves of God that comes from a well, a well of revival. Now, just like, was it Jacob or Jacob's son? I think it's Jacob that had to go back and redig the wells of his father. Had to go back and redig the wells of his father because everything was dying in famine and it was really a waste of time, but he knew he had to do it. When he did, water sprang forth out of the well. And they had a great harvest and great return when everybody else was running from the drought. Not only does God release revival wells, wells of revival in the earth, but oftentimes he will go back and revive, revive those wells of revival. <laughs> David was talking about you know, like in 1958, I think, was this, really the second one. They had a move of God even before that. 
But the most noted one at Asbury was 58. That's, that's the second or third. There was one in 58 too. Yeah, so one in 50, right? And it wasn't as large, Mark, but it was very, very marked as a revival. The one in 70 became global. It didn't globally happen on campus. It sprung up as a well of God's spirit and glory, a well of his revival. And when it sprung up out of there, then it was taken. They even recorded, I think, over 50 salvations that ministry teams went out and, and had in the next number of years. But there's people from all over the world that were touched from that one well being released into the atmosphere. Nations, everything were touched. So 1970 was the year that the, the, the really the great awakening wasn't the, the global awakening, but it was a global move. I believe what's happening now is an awakening. The difference between a move of God, a move of God does certain things. It can bring salvation. It can be a move of healing, of uh, people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, people being born again, people being saved. A move of God has to do with the individual. Going into all the nations, preaching the gospel, and he that is saved and baptized, right, shall be what? Born again. And they shall lay hands on the sick and recover, the recovery of the blind, all that out of Marks. So we'll read it here in a minute. Everybody say that's individually. So that's God moving on individuals. And he moved on individuals locally, regionally, and globally. And that's why you saw with social media now, with this uh, touch of God that's out there now, that, that was birthed out there, which I believe is the, the beginning of the third awakening. And, and in that, you notice people coming from other nations. Why? Because Asbury, no one knew who it was. Did they? Not many people knew who it was in 1970, did they, David? But it brought revival and people sending their children from different nations to be at that well. But also, they went out to nations and returned to nations. And it brought great anointing and blessing and salvation and healing and instruction to believers and to churches. What I want you to realize is an awakening is when you bring forth the individual blessings of glory, salvation, healing, baptism, Holy Spirit, miracles, signs, wonders, all that. Making individual disciples when we make disciples, right? That's really what Mark's gospel talks about with the Great Commission. When it's, when it's a great move of God and what we would call a revival or a touch from God, and it can even go globally, that, that's not an awakening. That's a move, and it's beautiful. The only way it can be an awakening is when you take both mandates, the first in Mark's gospel, about being saved, filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Holy Ghost, laying hands on sick, they recover and all that, go forth, preach the gospel, signs following with the other one in Matthew's gospel where he says, go forth and make nations. What happens is the first mandate or great part of the Great Commission is what? It is for the individual to be saved, to be healed, to be filled, uh, to be born again, to operate in the gifts of spirit and the power of God and to go forth, right, and win others through preaching the gospels and signs following you. That's a great move of God. It's beautiful. It's a rival. 
But when the second mandate comes in that we are to what? Disciple nations, not individuals only. What's discipling a nation? The discipling of a nation, if you're going to change the culture of a nation, the secular world has learned it well, right? You first attack the school systems, get the youngest ones. Take prayer out of school, right? You legalize abortion. You do all these things that you begin to transform the culture of that nation, that people group that reflects your ideas and your DNA. But when reformation happens from God's standpoint, it's when we are discipling a nation or nations with his commandments. Love, hope, faith, right? Whenever we begin to release his commandments and we begin to affect the legal system, we begin to affect the school systems, we begin to affect social services, we begin to affect, you know, health care. We do all those things. So what happens is everybody's trying to get, you know, just Republicans, Democrats, Independents, and all the wannabes are, are, are trying to win their segment. But you can't win a man till you win a man's heart. I said you can't win a person till you win their heart. What I believe in this reformation is, as God has opened the well for the third awakening on the campus of Asbury and its focus is 25 and under, it's a generation that we all just kind of put, the, I, I tease my voice sometimes, they get frustrated with me. That's your generation, bro. <laughs> Not my generation. They don't, oh, stop, pops. Every generation has its issues. I said, man, this, this is a pretty weak group right here. I mean, they're soft. They're, they're pancakes, man. They're just like, ooh, they're fluffy. They're, oh, man, I don't, well, well why, don't, why don't you want to attend that class? I just don't feel good about it. No, it's called a degree. Go to class. Well, you don't want to take that exam. Well, I don't want to take that exam. Why? It's against my rights as an individual. I shouldn't have to take an exam. Well, then fail the class. Don't get the credit. It's not about your feelings. It's about the structure you have to live in and operate under. And I know that's not all of the 25 and under, so don't get upset with me. We certainly got our issues. We're the reason this generation is what it is. And the reason my generation is so messed up, and the generation before me and the generation after me and the generation after that, we're all messed up. Why? Because we need an awakening. Because we need a touch from God individually on our hearts and lives to be redeemed, to be bought back, to be purchased by God, what? To be restored. Jesus didn't come to this earth to make something new. Jesus came to this planet to restore, to not deem, but redeem. <laughs> to revive. What's vibe? It means life or give life. To what? Give life again. Well, you know, we have life, Pastor. We're breathing, we're walking, we're talking. You know. huh. I'm talking about God kind of life. I'm talking about Zoe life. You even see it in Genesis 1, when, in Genesis 2, when God, Genesis 1, at the end of it, when God said, I've created man. Let me, let me go there real quick because I usually just quote it, but I'm going to read it to you. Then I'm going to end with what we just started on, but I, I want to get this for you. 
This is something you're going to have to catch today. You're going to have to say, I'm going to catch it, Pastor. It might have to catch you, but just get it. I don't care how, how you get it. God bless you if you even try to take notes. Man, my Bible. I think they're actually sending off to get it fixed for me. God bless it. I don't know if I can do it without it a week, though. That's a mistake. So, in Genesis, we see God, what he does. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our, everybody say our image. Now, you've heard me use the definition for image in the Hebrew is imagio. It means to make in a likeness, a form, a fashion, as though a mirror. But another definition of it means illuminate like you would have a phantom out there. You know, like someone thinks they see a ghost, they see a, the likeness of a person, but it's in a phantom form. You can't totally see it, but you know it's of that person potentially. We are to be in, made in God's image, his imagio, like him with his characteristics, his markings. And, and just like when Adam walked by, it was like a phantom of God. Because is that God or not God? It's a mirror. It's a, why? Because God made Adam in his image and likeness that he not only resemble, but he also be equipped with God's DNA to do whatever he needed to do. So man is our own likeness, according to our likeness, let them what have dominion. What's that mean? To dominate, to reign, to rule. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over everything that creeps on the earth. Then verse 27. So God created man in what? His O-W-N, own image, in the image, he repeats it for us so we get it. In the image of God, he created him. Look now, male and female, he created them. So the first mandate, even in the old covenant that God had, was to make man in his own image and likeness. We would call it in the new covenant to be born again, right? But there was no sin, so he didn't have to worry about that. He created man, he Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it even says, created man, male and female, in his own image and his own likeness with his characteristics, God on this earth. Now, a lot of churches and, and churches that are focused more on teaching and principles but don't really understand the power gifts and the power of God, you know, that freaks them out a little bit. What are you saying? You're like God. That, that, that's blasphemy. No, it's blasphemy when you teach things that God didn't teach. <laughs> or teach against things God did teach. Anyway, it's another message, another sermon someday. So we see, what is that verse 27? It's all focused on what? Like Mark's gospel, right? It's all focused on redeeming, not redeeming, but establishing man, male, male, male and female, to equip them, to impart to them, to give him his, them his DNA, to make male and female like him as his kids, his family. Why did he do that? Because God wanted a family. That's why the Bible talks about the angels being a little lower than Jesus. One translation has it messed up because I don't think the writers had the guts to print that when they, when they printed the New King James. I don't have time to go in it, but when you look at the word, it's meant to be flipped. No big deal, but there's other places. God created man to be in his image and likeness, God-like form and fashion on this earth with God's 
power, anointing, DNA, results, wisdom, all those things. How could Adam talk to fish and they obey? How could Adam talk to cattle and they obey? How could Adam talk to the, the, the solar system and it obey? Everything obeyed Adam, what? Just like God. Well, now, let's look at that again now. Let's look at that again. Here. So then God said, let us, who? Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Let us make man in our own image according to our own likeness. Let them have dominion, rule, rulership, right? Uh, to be in charge of dominion over fish in the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all everything creeping on the earth and crawling on the earth. Then it says on over in here that he had Adam name all of them. How could he name all them with just a natural mind that never heard nothing? But when you've got the mind of God, there's no limits. I was on something a minute ago, and I think I got off of it. I was trying to think what it was. I'll, I'll come back to it, I'm sure. So that's verse 26. Verse 27, now look at this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, his likeness, his imago, he created him, male and female, them, male and female, he created him. Now, now, now it goes into the second mandate. The first mandate is all about creating man in the likeness and the image of God with his markings, his characteristics, his mind, his talents, his power, right? Can we settle that? Then he says in verse 28, then God blessed them. God doesn't have blessings, he has the blessings. It's not a bunch of plural blessings. It's the blessing of God to be marked by God, to be in covenant with God, that you have God's resources and he has your resources. God's enemies are your enemies and, and his enemies are your enemies. You're in covenant. Say, I'm in covenant. Then God blessed them and God said to them, now what's he doing? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth subdue it, have dominion over the fish there, fish in the sea, birds there, all that, over everything living, every, every living thing on the earth. So the second part of that is like the, the commission, great commission is really in two parts versus one or you could do one, number two, or one A, one B. What is it now? Now it's going beyond your sphere of your change, your transfer, transformation, your revival, your impartation. And now you are taking God's revival, God's DNA, God's commands, God's authority, God's dominion, and you're taking it out beyond your home, your family, your workplace, your garden. It's a go subdue, take over, have dominion. You're in charge. And all that was good, right? Until Adam and Eve sinned. And there was only one sin they could commit. And that was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it wasn't so much that it was about knowledge of good and evil. It was the fact that that's the only thing God told them not to do. And they found that tree and did it. And then he comes back and they're naked. Well, how did they know they were naked? They didn't know what nakedness was until they sinned. You can really study it out and say, when he said you're over every creeping and crawling thing in the earth, there was no bacteria or disease or any way to get it because it was in the ground away. But once man sinned, he opened up avenues for bacteria, poison and death and diseases to come forth out of the ground. That not only affected man, but affected animals and fish and everything else. 
I have time for all that. Okay, let's see. So we established the first goal with God is to establish family. He wanted to walk with us in the cool of the day. He, he walked with Adam and Eve. He spent time with them, right? And the second part of that is to take God's DNA and his command and transform nations or people groups that you come into contact with because what? Now you're adding to God's family. The first part of the Great Commission is you get it. The second part is you use the commands and the power and the DNA of God to get others to come into his family. So it's a multiplication principle. God blesses us so we can be a blessing. His, the Spirit of the Lord is in me for my sake, but on me for the sake of others. The, the anointing of the Lord is in me for my sake, but on me for the sake of others. Why? So that I can go forth and begin to win other family members to God. Can anybody say amen? So when we're talking about an awakening, get this now, an awakening is different than a move or just a revival. An awakening is when you take the individual redemption, empowerment, and reestablishing male and female back in their God-like nature. And then take the godlike nature, the godlike wisdom, the godlike authority, the godlike dominion, the godlike power and revelation, and bring more family members to God by discipling nations, transforming education, transforming the way wealth is handled, transforming everything, the medical process, everything, social service. But to, to see, the world is the opposite. It's like, don't do it or whatever, or just keep yourself poor and you can keep getting a check. Where most people that have to deal with that, they want to have more so they can do more. They want to get educated. They want, they want to start businesses. But, but the way society, it rewards them for not trying. And I don't have a problem with social service. I don't have a problem giving it to anyone. I, I think it's great. I would just like to see it used in a way that it brings them up so they can raise others up. That's all. But you've got to realize it's not people's fault that's on it. it. It's the creation of the system that they have, the blueprint that they've been raised in. So don't ever criticize someone that's receiving any kind of Medicaid, Medicare, social services. Who are you? Just be thankful you, you know you don't have to that you can provide and believe for them and empower them and equip them so they can provide for someone else. Somebody say amen anyway. I don't know, I'm getting off on that stuff. Huh? So as I look at this whole thing with Asbury being a well of revival, a well that's releasing this, 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 this third awakening of God now, we won't see the reformation immediately because we got to do our jobs to get what God wants us to get out of this awakening so we can have the power and authority to be who we are and to do what we need to do and to have the power to distribute his commands and make them come to pass in people's lives. Then you will see reformation in schools, in governments, and everything else. It comes when the people's hearts are changed and transformed. That doesn't mean you don't work, you don't vote, you don't run for I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about right now, we're just kind of dealing with the issues without the root. But when a great awakening happens, not only is it a transformation of a heart and an equipping to a saint to raise up the great ecclesia, the church, to do what it's supposed to be doing. See, it's that part, and then 
reformation comes because you have spirit-filled men and women of God on school boards and attorneys and in government and all these things. That's the way it's going to ultimately happen. Not happen, I mean, we got to do the best of what we got right now, right? But I'm just saying, we need to be praying for this great reformation. God, help us to get back to your basics. God, help us to do it your way and not our way. Can anybody say amen to that? <clears throat> so, there is a glory, I, sometimes I say this and I don't think it's correct. I talk about another level, glory at another level. It's not really, it's glory at another heaviness weight. It's weighty. It's glory that's more weighty. It, it's a material the smears that covers. It's, it's God's presence. Just like you could feel, you come in the last couple months really in the church and what you just feel it every week. It seems like it's getting heavier and heavier, right? You just come in ready to worship. You come in ready to praise. You just, what, what is that? That means the weight of God's glory on this house is getting heavier and heavier. It's not because of this building. Now, I do believe this spot is tied into it, that this is where God directed us, and he said, from this spot you would touch the world. And, and the way it put us in synchronicity with these other alignments of revival, wells of revival, I believe it does have something to do with a spot or a location, but it mainly has to do with the people that make up the ecclesia, the people that make up the church. Because remember last week I was teaching you not just on uh, uh, covenant uh, partner membership, covenant membership, right? But see, what we got to realize is it's not just about covenant membership. It's about covenant in with God's glory to manifest his will in the earth. It's about we're covenant partners with God. He called Abraham a friend of God. You know the reason Abraham was a friend of God? He cut covenant with God. You're to be a son, a daughter, a friend of God, to be equipped like God in this earth to walk in his dominion and his authority. Now, none of us can walk in all that. None of us are Jesus and never will be, and I'm gonna get into that in a minute. But we certainly have our part to play. But in the ecclesia, the church, this church, and the church in the nation and the world of, of spirit-filled believers and believers, what all those things that Jesus had and operated in and still has at the throne are operating in the church. It's just a matter of having revelation to recognize it and how to handle it or use it. You know, if you've never handled electricity and somebody says, well, you know, go over and plug, uh, plug in the organ or whatever to the thing and you don't see a plug there. You see two, two knives and you stick, stick two ends of two knives in there. You're going to find out how electricity works really quick. And that's the way the church is with the glory. That's the way the body of Christ is with the gifts. That's the way the body of Christ is with the power. So you so think about this. Whenever Ephesians 4 teaches us that, and there are called, some called to be apostles, some called to be pastors, some called to be evangelists, some called to be teachers, pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, and prophets. And then the next verse says what? To edify the saints until they come into perfect unity in God. It doesn't mean that you're going to agree with should the sanctuary be blue or black or green. No, it's talking about you come into unity, understanding with the revelation of who God is and who you are in God, who Christ is and who you are in Christ, and to operate together as one moving for God. So when we begin to think about this church, what, what I want you to realize is, is that when you go back since since the since Jesus rose from dead and, and people got born again and all that and the book of Acts and all that, 
We always had pastors. Back then, they had the pastors, prophets, apostles, and teachers. But in our new ecclesia, many, you know, 2,000 years later, we can look back 50, 60 years ago, and all you really saw in the mainstream, the main focus of what God was doing was pastors and evangelists. You know, had that great hill evangelist in the 40s and 50s, and you've always had great pastors, and a lot of them operated in different anointings. But in the 70s, God, and part of the 80s, we had the charismatic renewal, and it was a resurrection of the teaching gifts. There's a difference between being a teacher and a gifted teacher than being a five-fold ministry office teacher. That's another weight of glory. See, when you're a believer, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Ghost, that's like taking a, a jar full of water and throwing it in a bucket of water. Now, all of a sudden, you have a heavier weight of glory. Not only do you have the glory and the Spirit of God in you, but you have the glory and Spirit of God on you. Is this helping anybody? So, when God wants to do a work in the earth, that doesn't mean there hasn't always been prophets and prophets and, pre, and, and evangelists and apostles. They've been, but they haven't been in the mainstream of the church. But in the 70s, early 80s with the charismatic renewal, people began to get revelation and they began to learn more about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They began to learn more about the nine gifts of the Spirit. They began to learn more about prosperity. And there was an, an equipping from the five-fold ministry gifts like uh, Dr. Hagen, who also was a teacher prophet, my grandfather in the faith, you know, Dr. Lester Sumrall, who was also a teacher and a prophet. Most teachers like that flow in a strong prophet anointing that are that great, that, that are reaching millions and millions of people. Or someone in a church that's set there as the elders to, to teach, and you just see a different way. When I walk up here, does it feel a little different when I start to teach than someone else walks up here? It's nothing wrong. It's just that when God puts you as the point person in a house, he's got to have a heavier weight on you. But you all rise together, and the more I rise, we all rise together, and the weightiness increases on them. But that all happens not just because of one's ministering, but who's receiving it. Because it's easy to get up here now. You can just get up here and yay, 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 and everybody be shouting. Their anointing's so strong, the glory's here. So when we saw that move of God, charismatic renewal, people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, gifts of spirit operating in the church, people, believers just laying hands on people in church, getting healed, all that, that's beautiful. Then in the 80s and 90s, the, prophet, the office of the prophet came on the scene. And the office of the prophet is different than you prophesying. You can prophesy with a spirit of prophecy. And you're always to edify, comfort, or exhort when you give a word from God for someone else. That's a spirit of prophecy. And that comes on believers, especially if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can tap into it just about whenever you need to, right? And the more you experience it, you can tap into it anytime. The Spirit will will it. It says, as the Spirit wills. Well, he will will according to the weight of the glory on you. I, I can have five of you stand up right now and start telling you words of knowledge and word of wisdom about you right now that would affect right where you are. And I'm not bragging or anything, but I'm saying there's a weight of glory on me if I need to flow that way, I do. So in the 80s and 90s now, what do we have? We have the teaching and the evangelistic anointing, five-fold ministry, building up, edifying the saints, they come into perfect unity for God. 
Then you have the prophetic office, which gives discernment, gives direction, brings revelation, brings the heart of God. See, a lot of people look at prophets and prophecies and think they're hard and cold. No, that's immature prophet and prophecies that don't know what they're doing. Do you feel that way when Prophet Ed Trout ministers to you? Do you feel that way when uh, Andre ministers to you? Why? You, you feel what you should do when the office of prophet ministers to you. You should feel edified, comforted, exhorted because they walk with the weight of the spirit of prophecy on them. They don't have to stir it up to get it and hope it comes. They walk in the mantle of it. They, they, they carry the mantle. So you, you have the teacher, you know, gets in the ear. Then you have uh, the, the, the uh, oh, shoot, you have the prophet, the pointer, uh, you have the evangelist, the tallest one, right? The one most seen. Uh, you have the prophet, the pointer. You have, you have the, the ring finger, right? That's the pastor office. So, so, so what do you have? You have the teacher office, five-fold ministry office, teacher gift. I'm not saying one's greater than the other, but you need all five. The teaching, prophet office of teacher. Then you have the prophet office of, of the office of God, of pastor, to take care, to protect the sheep, Right? Then you have the one of the evangelists. I won't hold that one out by itself. You know, the taller one, right? The evangelist. <laughs> then you have the prophet, right? The pointer, the one that gives direction, the one that gives insight, the one that gives revelation that you wouldn't get without that. You can get it, but when that office is in operation, has the freedom, you get it a hundredfold what you could ever get. And then you have the apostle. They touch every office. The apostles are the governmental offices that bring the other ones together and can operate in many of those at a high level, but their main goal is to bring all those into the government of the kingdom of the house and to build a structure so that all those gifts can operate at a high level to bring the way to glory God desires for those people in that area. Does that help you? The problems we have, denominations have been built on teaching. Denominations have been built on shepherding, you know, make sure the sheep are comfortable and they're not upset and everything. Well, sometimes God wants to redirect the sheep and it might not be the greenest pasture, it might be a rocky pasture. Sometimes God wants the sheep held down and shear off their wool for their own good and for his good and it don't feel good. Now they're cold and they're uncomfortable because the sheep just got sheared. You know I'm preaching to you right now. So just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean you miss God. It's a sign you're out in the plan of God or he's shifting you to his plan. Why is everybody picking on me? Why am I always sick? Why am I always tired? Why am I always broke? Why? I tell you why. Till you come to the place that you allow the ministry gifts offices of God to minister in your heart and you use what you have in you right now, God will push you right into the flow you need to be in. But if not, you'll just stay right there being just as miserable as you've always been. It's your choice. Hmm. Oh, so where I was going with that is, <clears throat> where I was going with that, Ethel, he hasn't used hardly any scripture. He, I, I can't follow him, Ethel. <laughs> you haven't yet, so why mess up a good thing, right? So this is by the Spirit, and you can go, I got, I'm giving you the scriptures, and I may read some in a minute, I feel like. Just trying to get it out to you, downloading to you. So the problem is, whenever a movement is, the strength of it is the teaching movement, or the evangelistic movement, 
Sometimes they get uncomfortable when the prophet shows up. Or they get uncomfortable, you know, the pastor movement and the evangelistic movement, right? They're, they're right there together, boy. They're, they're moving together. But man, you get that old teacher coming in there and he's going to mess up some of this stuff they've been leading the sheep in and they've been out. You give an evangelist, they just want to win the lost at all costs, right? Win the world. Jesus, Jesus saved the world. And that's great. That's their gift. The pastor wants to protect and encourage and make you comfortable, make you happy. and do it. But, but, but a teacher can make you uncomfortable because they're going to challenge you to grow. And they're going to point out things that's not good in your life and point out things you need to work on in your life. And they're going to begin to give revelation to you to unlock a, a life in God that makes you more like him in his image and likeness. And then the prophet's going to come along and you thought you was going to want to do one thing and you find out you're going another direction. And now you've got to get in line with that. Not that you wouldn't have confirmation of it, but they're going to give you discernment. They're going to, they're going to help you see things that you might have spent your whole lifetime and never saw about yourself or people you love. And it helps you or about your vision and your dreams and the direction. They give you the revelation and the insight and the inspiration. Then you got this old crazy apostle over here that just messes with everybody. I mean, apostles just... They're the one that digs and plants, right? They, they just mess with everybody. They're in the evangelist world. They're in the pastor's world. They're in the, the every world, right? Teacher, doesn't matter. Because they're the ones that's called to bring structure to all the offices. And they're the ones called to, to establish God's kingdom in a certain weight of glory. To do his plan for whatever God's put on their life. And me being an apostle, pastor, I flow in the prophetic, as you know. I can shift over into that office, but that's not my number one office. I can definitely flow in the teaching anointing, but that's not my number one office. I can flow in the evangelistic anointing. That's not my number one office. I say my two strongest are apostle, pastor. But I can flow. I can touch all of those, but I'm not Jesus. Only Jesus operated in all five of those at the greatest strength. So let me get to that. The five-fold ministry offices represents the five spiritual ways Jesus moved on the earth. Only Jesus was prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, apostle, all at once in one time to the max because that was the spirit of revelation and glory on his life from his father. Jesus came to reestablish all five spiritual strengths of his gift set and leave it with his body. It's up to the body to gather those, to humble ourselves, to keep those people in our lives, to grow and to mature as Christ wants us to grow and mature so we can do his commandments in here. We've had people, we had, one time, there was a time ago, years ago, we used to, I said, well, we used to teach these people want to learn how to prophesy. Let's just teach them how to prophesy. And before long, they're prophesying to one another, and they got a little accurate here and there. And before long, they're out prophesying everywhere else. They just forget Bethel. We're going to go over here to this other little group. We all just prophesy at this other little church together. Just prophesy, prophesy, prophesy. I call it prophesying a lot of times because it's not prophesying. <laughs> Doesn't mean they're not right some of the time, but you cannot bring order if you're not in order. What is order? O-R-D-E-R. It is the root word of ordination. Ordination means you have been set in an office and equipped and blessed by God to do it. Been ordained. Ordination. 
So if you're not, order means accurate arrangement of things. So if I'm not in order, I can't bring order. And a lot of those people, their needs are, well, they split, leave that church, leave that church, and that pastor splits and starts over and starts back. Why are they doing that all the time? They're doing that all the time because they want to bring order, but they're not in order. Not saying they don't have a prophetic gift or evangelistic gift or a pastoral gift, but, but the heart's not right. God wants our heart. If he can get our heart, he can do the rest of it through us. Say, God wants my heart. Say, so you can have it, Lord. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Ooh, there's so much I want to give you. <clears throat> Here's what I believe is happening. Go with Joel, to Joel chapter 2. Here I think is a great illustration, I believe, of what God is doing. <clears throat> Verse 28. <clears throat> Joel 2, 28. It says, it shall come to pass, pass, afterward, what it's talking about afterward. If you go back and read the other chapters, it's talking about fearing God, consecrate, consecrate yourself to his assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God. It's talking about fasting. It's talking about praying. It's talking about sowing. If you're doing all those things, praying, fasting, sowing, weeping before God, living consecrated, having God speaking in your life in submission, in order, what happens? <clears throat> what happens is this. It said, verse 28, and, after, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your, men, your, your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my maidservants and on my men servants and my maidservants. In other words, you don't even have to be an office holder. You don't have to be a pastor, prophet, evangelist, teacher, no, or apostle, no. You just be a servant of God. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on my men servants and maidservants just like I am my prophets and my pastors and my all that. He said, because I want everyone to have an outpouring. If something's poured and it hits you, it has a weight to it. It depends on how wet you're going to get by how much is poured on you, how heavy it is when it hits you, right? And when God has an outpouring, it's really a springing forth when the windows of heaven are opened and he brings his glory. What is His glory is weighty. It's a weighty matter. He said, I will pour out my spirit. And so he said, Verse 29, and also on my, my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in what? Those days. Verse 30, and I will show one, the wonders of he in heaven. I will show wonders in heavens and in the earth. Then you go over into Acts, we see again where Peter said, this is not what you think. This is what the prophet Joel said, and he quoted that scripture, and that's what the book of Acts really uh, developed, and, and that was their commission. They, were, they didn't get very far. Jesus ministered 70% of his time around Galilee. He, he didn't travel miles and miles like that. He stayed in pretty much a determined area, but he didn't cover all of Israel and every city and every nation. He went where he was assigned. See, I, I'd love to be caught on a beach. Man, I mean, like, Lord, you know I love water. I love to golf. I, I don't like cold weather. I don't like cloudy, gloomy weather. And he calls me to Kentucky. Then he says, well, you want to be called to Alaska? No, Kentucky's fine. 
Some of you say, I don't want that heat and sun. I want to be called up out in Montana or something. But see, and I, all the time I'll hear, I'll be at a conference or something, and pastors and planting pastors, they say, well, why did you plant where you did? Well, you know, I just love the economy. It's great for my family, great school system. So I, I just thought it was a good place to plant a church. You plant it on a feeling, not a revelation. It'll be interesting to see how long it lasts. Because you could be a great shepherd, but if you don't have revelation of a teacher, if you don't have direction of the prophetic, if you don't have the government and the empowerment of an apostle in your life, how are you going to be a successful pastor? Even as an apostle, I'm not just an apostle, I operate in the apostolic anointing, I'm an apostle. But, but when I go to another man's church, I submit to them. Another woman's church, I submit. That pastor is in charge of that. They're accountable for that flock. I'm there to serve that. First thing I say, what do you need? Well, whatever's on your heart. Well, what do you really want? What do you really need? I'll, I'll, I'll flow in. Whatever you need me to flow in, I'm here to edify and to build up your body and to bring strength to you. Whatever you want. I submit. And if they correct me, I'll receive it. Even if I don't agree, I'll receive it. And I'll love them. I'll just shake the dust off my shoes and not go back. But I, I mean, I've never had that before. But if I did, that's probably what I'd do. Dr. Summerall wrote in his books and prophesied many times that the great, the great, end, ooh, I messed that up. The great end time revival would be when all five ministry gifts are operating at an optimum level of glory, and the body of Christ is in a flow with it. That we would not even have buildings big enough to have church in. We would have to go to open fields and open spaces to hold a church service. How many know we're not there yet? Are we? I said, we're not there yet. Boy, I messed that up. Okay, I got to wind this down or wind it up. One or the other. Let me, uh, let me read these two to you real quick here. So let's look at Mark's gospel. Let's look at the first mandate, the first great commission, right? Mark, uh, his gospel, six, chapter 16. Let me read a few, uh, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out devils. They will take up serpents and any deadly thing that, that, that by, uh, deadly thing they drink by no means will hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, if I'm not exposed to that, I have to look at my life. And if I'm a wonderful pastor, how great of a pastor am I if I got sick people that nobody's laid hands on? How great of a pastor am I? I can have a perfect loving heart and want to care for and want to help, but, but if I don't have the prophetic anointing to bring correction and discernment, if I don't have the apostolic anointing around our church to help us get the government, the strength, and the means and the designs we need to build the ministry. You see, all five ministry gifts should be flowing regularly in every local church. That's why I bring people in, man. I, if there, if I don't, and there's many of you already walk in some of those offices and you're maturing in it when you get up here. But, but what I'm saying is my goal, and Mark understands as well, we're always like, man, when we connect, we want to connect with the right people, not the wrong people. But, but we want evangelists in here. We want prophets in here. We want apostles. We want other great pastors in here. We, we, we want all five men because that's what brings healthy growth to all of us. That, that's what empowers us. That's what strengthens us. So we see that is all about those who are saved, they're filled, signs following, right? And you go preach the gospel, signs following you. Now, now let's look over at the other one. <clears throat> go back this way. You tired? Four people said it there. What's that? 
first and shut up. I want to go eat. <laughs> Hallelujah. You might need to talk to the Holy Ghost to me, probably. So as we look at Matthew's gospel, <clears throat> I'll get there in a minute. It's easy. It's the last chapter in the daggone book. Matthew uh, chapter 28, look what it says, uh, verse 17. Well, let's go to verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority, all authority has been given me, to me, in heaven, where, and on earth. Remember what he said in another place in Matthew's gospel? Whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth is loose. He's repeating it here. He said, all heaven. See, he had all authority in heaven with his heavenly father. But the first Adam blew it, messed it up, he and Eve, and we lost our God-like image and, na and nature, and we were born in a state of death until Jesus, the second Adam, came as the son of God, put in a virgin, born into this planet. That gave him authority to take over the earth because God gave that authority to Adam. And when he gave that authority to Adam, he would be a liar if he took it from him for un some unforeseen reason just to take it. He didn't take it. Adam gave it to Satan. At least give it back to God. So therefore, all these thousands of years, God's out of fellowship with his family, out of fellowship with his children, and he sends his only begotten son. What? And the only way the son can take it back is to pay for all the sins of humanity, past, present, and future. And that's why the cross was so horrifying and death was so horrifying that he had to take all of our sin, whether we get saved or not, whether we get sin later or now, every horrible sin and easy sin and little sin. The Bible says he took it all on at one time. And when he took his last breath, what did he do? He died. And then on the third day he rose. But when he rose, where did he go? He went down in the bowels of Hades of hell and he took back the keys of life and death and he took back salvation and he took back dominion and he took back authority and he took back healing and he took back peace and he took back prosperity and blessing. He took it all back. Take it all back. Then what did he do? All authority. He never will lose like the first Adam. He'll never blow it like the first Adam. He can't lose. He is the champion. You were singing about that. And because he's a champion, he's our head. We're champions. He's great. We should be great. He's equipped. We should be equipped. Hallelujah. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore. Now look at this. Not just go therefore, preach the gospel and heal the sick. Get this in your spirit now. Not just go therefore and preach the gospel and heal the sick. Save the lost. What, what do you say? Go therefore. Now, look at this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. At this point, it hadn't even been out of the Jewish belief yet. Remember the whole thing with, in Corinthians with what's his name that Peter had to go preach at his house, Cornelius? It had never crossed over because the Jews believed that, you know, it's their Messiah and they weren't out giving this to any of the Gentiles, but Paul was called to the Gentiles. And it would have never gotten out of Jerusalem if they had agreed with what they wanted Peter to do, to not eat with uncircumcised people, not let them be saved, but God. 
It took the whole team to come together with all their anointings and gifts. He said, tell me, no, we got to follow God, and, and God's no respecter of persons. And if they get baptized in the Holy Ghost, that's God. It's not us. If they're saved, that's God. It's not us. Let's just do what we're supposed to do and let God do what he's supposed to do. Let us know. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What's a disciple, then? They think like you. They might even eat like you. They, they love what you love. They study what you study. They, they're gifted in the things you're gifted in that you've taught them to be. Make disciples of, what, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, look, to observe all things I have commanded you. Lo, I am always with you, even to the end of the aeon forever, the age. Now, think about this. Another reason I believe, and I love Asbury, I mean, I'm from a Wesleyan background, Nazarene, all that, you know, and all that. My master's divinity is, is from another organization, <clears throat> which is more of a, covers that plus faith power and all that. It's almost like God picks a neutral site. He picks a place like Asbury or the little house, little red house on the river. He picks these little places that, why is it there? I mean, they had famous worshipers come in, but they didn't worship because the weight of the glory wasn't on them. It was on those that were there assembled that God wanted to be on. They just got blessed themselves. There was no use, need to bring a big name in. When you got God, you don't need a big name. You got the name that's above every name, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. So as God opens up a well of revival, a well of an awakening, he brings it in a place that loves God and loves peace and, you know, doesn't really operate in the power against a lot. Now, there are a lot of people there that do. It's filled with spirit and operating power, but, but kind of the doctrine is not really that, but it's a great doctrine about holiness and sanctification. So, so God, when he did it, he wants to bring it into where someone can't say, oh, that man, that woman of God, it was Amy Simple McPherson. It was Catherine Kuhlman, you know, it was, you know, whoever. It, no, 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 he just, just he's, the guy that spoke the chapel, if you ever watched that on YouTube, he's just kind of like, I'm about to be done, I'm tired of it. Okay, by the way, here's the altar call. I don't know if he stayed in there during all of it or not, but God bless him, he got to be a part of it, but I almost feel bad because somebody, well, his message was insignificant to the matter. He really had no effect. Yeah, he did, he obeyed God, he did what God, he didn't do more than God wanted him to or less. See, see, your evaluation can't be about how many goose pimples you get or how much money you get in an offering or how many knows your name or tweets your name. That's not what revival is. It's a man or a woman being obedient to do exactly what God said do, to give what God said, and let God be God. And every man be alive. But I believe the reason this will be an awakening, it will cross every bounder of evangelical, Baptist, Methodist, Nazarene, even in the Pentecostal church, God, all that, independent, word of faith, all cares, whatever, all this stuff. Because God says it's time. And God says it's time. So we see now we are to go forth and teach the commands of God. Now, I don't know what they're going to do with the command of laying hands on sick and casting out devils. They got to settle that, right? But my goal in this church is we do everything to the best of our ability. He commands. And sometimes we'll get away from something and have to get back into it. But, but that's what's going to happen with this great awakening with God it's going to be the commands of God is going to take over nations and people groups. Then the reformation of the culture of those nations will change and be changed forever. Can somebody say amen? 
That doesn't mean it's out there 50 years from now. I'm just saying it's really happening at the same time, but the Reformation won't be in the forefront totally until it's in a year or two or three in, and then you'll start seeing the results of that. Okay, I got to let you go. Okay, Holy Spirit, stop. Uh, when you go home today, the very first scripture I was going to use is 2 Corinthians 3, really verses 17 through 18, but just read that whole chapter and soak in that chapter this week. 2 Corinthians 3, man, just soak in. It talks about the glory of God and how it manifests and all that, and, and it will bring great power to you.